A most gracious gift, if you would open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20. I'm excusing you, 19. Exodus chapter 19. It is interesting in this story, as we've been processing and going through them, we started out with, uh, earlier in the winter, we started out with the story of Abraham, and we've been following down through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We also have gone down to when Jacob was not known in Egypt after a new pharaoh came up and how the Lord brought the plagues upon Egypt and led Israel out on the very day, according to the scriptures, that he brought them out. You remember the story of, uh, we've talked about, of crossing the Red Sea and going and making that journey and going. So what happened, according to scriptures, that Israel became a nation now of the Lord, and as they came and went and crossed the Red Sea, called their baptism by Paul, that they went, they began what was known as a theocracy, meaning that the Lord would be, God would be their leader, would be their king, would be their one who made the decisions and would lead them, and God would lead them. Well, if you follow that down through historically, that goes all the way down to the time of Christ. When that ended at the time of Christ, when they, um, they were asked, the people was asked, and the leaders were asked, is Jesus your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And it ended the theocracy with the proclamation of the leaders saying we have no king but Caesar. All right, so we're back looking at the beginning of this in Exodus chapter 19. If you would follow along with me, we'll begin with the very first verse. And on the first day of the third month after Israel left Egypt, on that very day they came into the desert of Sinai. This took about 45 days from when they left Egypt to make that journey. So they have gone, they crossed the Red Sea, and now they've made their way down. They were should, according to go to the Promised Land, they should have gone east and north, but they turned and went south. The Lord led them south for a specific purpose as where he was taking them. Verse 2, And after they set out from Rephidim, and they entered the desert of Sinai, the camp, Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And in front of that mountain, we find that that mountain area that was open them was about two miles long and about a half mile wide, is where it, we call that Mount Sinai, and we did not make it to that trip, did we, John? We did not get to Mount Sinai, which would have been a great experience. And after they got there, the Lord asked Moses, so he went up to God, and God called him from the mountain and said to him, on making thing, and so he established his covenant. The making of a covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two people. And he said to him as he started this covenant, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I, what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. A covenant, they said. We're going to make a covenant between you. You know what I did for you. You saw how I led you out. You saw how I brought the plagues. You saw how we crossed the Red Sea. You saw what happened to Egypt. You saw all that. Now I'm going to make a covenant with you. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, the Lord said. You will be my, uh, you will be, 
for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. It is most fascinating that he talks to them about being, having the being there with a holy nation. I mean with a, a priest. You see that? Priest written there? It is fascinating that that very same promise is given to us in the book of Revelation. Where John writes about in several places you are going to be kings and priests. We will be kings and priests. What does a king? A king has territory that he oversees. And what do priests do? Priests minister. They carry the benefits of God. We will be kings and priests. That promise was given to all the redeemed. A day, and so if I'm looking in this room, then I'm seeing royalty. Isn't that right? That would be, that'd be. And ministers to it. Verse 7, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words that God had commanded them to speak. And the people responded together, the leaders did, and they said, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now, if you have it in the King James Version, it will say, and all the Lord has said, all that he has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought that answer back to the Lord. Now, you have to follow this closely. Because you could get lost in the weeds here. So you just, just keep your mind here going, rolling here. So that's what he told the Lord. Well, what that was basically was, was the requirement of the old covenant. Now you need to know something about the covenants, and we're going to get into that. But people today can live under the old covenant. The angels live under the old covenant. Let your mind wrap around that a bit. So, what was that the old covenant that was given there at Sinai, that deal, that agreement they made, was very elementary. was very elementary in it, what it had. It was closely related to the rites and ceremonies, the one that they agreed to in Israel. They also said that it had rewards and penalties. If you did this, you get a reward. If you don't, you have a penalty that comes to you. The blessings that were given to it were largely temporal. This will be there. And then the last thing about it is it trusted on human accomplishments. You had to follow human. You had to do that. So they said, everything that the Lord has said, we will do. That will be fine. What he has spoken, we will follow. No problem, we're going to do that. And if you have been following this in society, you will know that that was very wishful thinking. Very wishful thinking on their part. They were sincere, but it was hopeful, hopefully. I was reading the SCA Bible commentary and it said, God permitted Israel to attempt to keep the law so they might become aware of their inability to do what they mistakenly felt able to do. So he said, you go ahead and try. Let's see how this rolls. See how you know, you try to do that. The spontaneous cry, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, was without questions a superficial demonstration of religious enthusiasm and momentary reaction to the glorious and sublime truth. They, uh, there was a lacking in the spirit of depth of true conversion, the heart to do what God commanded. In other words, that whole arrangement was graceless. was graceless. What the Lord has asked, we will do. No problem. We can obey. 
So the old covenant is based on the idea if you obey, you live. If you disobey, you die. That's basically the, if you cut the covenant all the way down to actually what it is about, that's it. But in reality, God knows the human heart, does he not? He knows the human heart. He knew the Israelites' heart. And he knew that they would have sinful natures. So the Lord, <laughs> knowing humans, the Lord provided a better covenant, a better one. Better than the old, better than one you obey and live, disobey and die. You may know it in the scriptures as called the new covenant. Well, actually, it's a covenant that was established before the world ever was created. Jesus was slain, the Bible says, from the foundation of the world. That's why it also is called the everlasting covenant. It will be a covenant from beginning to end. And it goes on this. When the new covenant is obey and live, disobey and die, when we fail, when we fail, he pays the penalty. He pays the penalty. So we could also say it's a covenant. It's a new covenant. A covenant of grace. A covenant of grace. God's great gracious act to us. From the very beginning when he taught uh, Adam and Eve, the sacrificial thing was sharing with them the great sacrifice of Christ that was to come. And all the way down through that our sins would be covered by the gracious gift of God himself. As Christ would die for our sins and pay for them, he would pay the demands of the covenant and offer to us the rewards of the covenant because he paid for it. And I think one incredible grace of God. Now, there, is a, uh, there are two mountains in Israel. And when Israel went, and we're going to pick up the story of Israel continuing in the fall. Not during the summer, but in the fall. So there are two mountains that we did not get to, John. We did not get to these either. And at the bottom of them, one's on one side is Mount Gerizim, and on the other side is Mount Ebal. And at the very valley in between is Jacob's well. It was not safe for us to go there, so we did not go there. I wanted to go there, see, because there's water still in Jacob's well, the same well where Jesus met the woman. You remember the discussion that the woman had with Jesus about where is the worship? Is the worship up on Mount Gerizim, or is it down in Jerusalem. Well, the discussion was because the Samaritans had then claimed Mount Gerizim as the mountain of blessings. And they still have an altar up there. You can go up to the ruins up there. And every year they make this trudge up there to go up there to celebrate that. Well, on the other side of the valley was Mount Ebal. So, Joshua was told to bring the people as he brought the people in he says please the Lord said take them to stand between those two mountains put six of the tribe six tribes on one mountain and six tribes on the other mountain one on Mount Gerizim one on Mount Ebal so they're standing on these twin peaks with the valley in between and he read to them if you do all the things that I've asked you then here are the blessings that will fall you can read that we'll look at that later this fall but all the blessings that will happen and then on Mount Ebal they read all the cursings if you do not follow me if you go your own way here's what's going to happen to you happen but then the Lord instructed Joshua build an altar 
build an altar. And they built an altar and did a sacrifice on Mount Ebal. See, the Samaritans didn't want the sacrifice. So we want to worship God, we'll do that, we'll follow, we want the blessings. But on Mount Ebal, because the Lord knows our human hearts, he provided the sacrifice. Amazing experience as they came in. All right. So, you hold that in your heart, that thought, Mount Ebal. Grace always follows law. You can look throughout Scripture, from Mount Ebal all the way down through, started Genesis, go all the way down through. Grace of God to save you is always follows the giving of the law. Always. Never a mistake of that. So that's number one. Number two. Well, we found that as we looked in Exodus 19, if you look at that story, God made this covenant with them, made that covenant with them, that he did something for them before he required them to follow him. Didn't he? He did something for them first. So we find also the second great principle is that grace always precedes law. God did something for us. He created the world. He didn't just have us here and says, now I'm going to do something. He created the world, a gracious act of creation. So grace always precedes the law. Would you look in the very next chapter? We're just going to look at a couple of verses in Exodus 20. Going in it, if you're following the story, what is in Exodus 20? The great Ten Commandments that are given there, aren't they not? So if you look in next chapter, in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, just, just pick up this very, at the very first couple verses, look at this. And God spoke all these words. <coughs> I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Therefore, because I have graciously brought you, I have rescued you, I've brought you and saved you, you are my people. As a result of that, I will give you my Ten Commandments. Now, often we get into this discussion. Well, the difference between law and grace. Oh, it goes back and forth, back and forth. And looking at that, I'd like to share something with you this morning that is incredibly important. Number three, the law itself is grace. How can you say that, Pastor? Because the gift of God, this one of the most precious gifts that God gave to mankind was his law. And why would that be a gracious act? Because he gave it to us to keep us out of trouble. Now you take the, take the last six commandments that are there are how we can relate to our fellow man and keep, keep peace, keep, keep things going, keep things right. Keep things honorable and holy. If we will follow those last six commandments, they are a great gracious gift to God has given to us. He gave us those, those laws to help us so we could say, if I don't murder someone else, 
Look at the blessing that I will receive. If I don't steal from someone else, look at the blessing that I will receive. If I don't bear false witness, if I'm a truthful person, look at what will happen. And in actual fact, those are the basic laws, those laws that, that we have regulated our society, are they not? Although some are having great times with them. But they regulate our society. Because if I were to go out and harm someone else, pretty soon the sheriff shows up and the sheriff says, I have something I need to talk with you about. And you have done this, you've done that. Well, where did that all basically come back? If I don't break the law, if I don't violate that, then I get along with my fellow man just, just fine. Just fine. But how do I relate to God? See? So in relating to God, in doing relating to God, if I look and say, how do I relate to God? Have no other gods before me. Don't, there is no other God. I am the only one. You will be happier and you will live in truth. And you will have some, this great gift to you if you recognize that I am the God. Don't go chasing after all, all kinds of stuff and, and throwing a lot of dust in the air if you will know. Don't make any graven image. Don't put anything. Don't worship. Don't sit and worship a stone. I'm the great God in heaven. Don't, don't take my name in vain. Respect who I am. I'm your God. And remember our time together. Remember our time together. If you take your time to be with God, it will be a gift to you. The Sabbath is one of the great, great gifts of God. So, in actual fact, the law itself given to us is grace, the great gift of grace. So we have grace always follows law, grace always precedes law, the law itself is grace. And as I look and reflect on that, I think of the most gracious things God does to us in every way. And a complete celebration of him. What a marvelous God that would do that. No other gods in the world do that. No other creations men have come up with of their gods ever do that. Oh, they want to, in ancient, they want you to throw stuff to them. They want to do all these sacrifices and stuff to them to try to appease them. Our God isn't like that. Our God doesn't like that. So as you look, and realize as Israel stood at Mount Sinai and God handed to them the Ten Commandments, that you can rejoice in them. Thank you, Lord, for your great gift of your commandments. Because they just keep me out of a world of trouble. They teach me how to love God and how to love my fellow man. Under which all the law falls. Love to God. Loved a man. Didn't Jesus say that? 
shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's how we do it, laid out in the Ten Commandments, that great gift of love to us. And so the law given to us is a gift of love from our Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, for this incredible gift. Oh, sometimes we get hung up. Oh, I can't do this. Can't. We, miss, we miss the whole beauty and point of it. But Lord, may we see it as the great gift of love to us. And may we see it as a way of loving you and loving our fellow man. It helps us know how to walk and to do it. Thank you for this gifting, Lord, by your grace. Help us to enjoy this great gift, to celebrate it, and to thank you, our great creator, our redeemer, our savior, our friend, for giving us the great gift of the law. And your grace surrounds it all. In Jesus' name, amen.